Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, JJ Cooper, Carlos Colazzo here, fired up. Ten days before the draft and we are giving you a draft preview podcast. One of probably what will be several uh, in the lead up to the draft because there's a lot going on, Carlos. But we have today... A new mock draft up at BaseballAmerica.com for subscribers. Also, we've updated the reports from, uh, we have 500 ranked, but we now have 300 reports, yep. which that's important. Yeah, I think the, the 300 reports actually just dropped on the website as soon as we started podcasting. So it's, it's nice to have that up there. It feels like we're getting closer. I know it's only three-fifths done, but we actually have a lot written already i think that we're still going to get edited over the weekend and we're hoping to finish that up this weekend the 500 reports so next week uh if you guys are hearing this uh on memorial day or later you should probably be able to see the top 500 prospects with full reports um it's kind of crazy every year it feels like the draft is just looming in the distance and then may hits and i feel like it flies by but and, and this year it it's moved up june yeah. 3rd is really early for the mm-hmm. draft so i know it's it it all kind of it's at the same point as far as in relation to the college season, yeah. but it still feels really early. Because Jude thirds, that's that's fast. Yeah, it really does. So, so at this point, I feel like we, we've got most of the top guys. At least I hope so. If not, then then we've been doing something wrong. But um, if the we, top if, of the, <laughs> if there's a guy out there who's a first day guy that we don't have, someone's written up, been hiding him out really well. I was going to say, I don't know where he's. I don't know where they've buried him. No, no clue. But. Um, yeah, how about the top of the class? Let's talk talk through how it's kind of shaping up at this point. I feel like it's kind of been a consistent theme throughout the year, and not much has changed as far as it's top heavy, and there are going to be hitters at the top rather than pitchers. Uh, that really hasn't changed. The top six guys are still there: Oregon State catcher I, Adley Rushman, prep shortstop Bobby Witt Jr., prep shortstop C.J. Abrams, uh, Vandy outfielder J.J. Blade, Cal first baseman Andrew Vaughn. And then uh, prep outfielder Riley Green. All the same names that have kind of been in this Yeah, I feel top like six. they're encased in concrete almost. At yeah, this point. it does seem like that. Every time we talk to any scouting director or higher level cross checker or anything like that for mock draft purposes, it's the same six names. All of these guys say, yeah, they could, they could flip flop and go in different positions. Uh, we had some people asking specifically about the Marlins pick. It definitely seems like they're in on J.J. Blade. Would it surprise me if instead they took Andrew Vaughn? No, not really. The bat is, is that good. But Blade has finished strong. He's shown power this year. He has more defensive uh, value than Vaughn does. And C.J. Abrams, Riley Green, those guys could flip around. The, the, the two that I feel most confident about at this point are the top two, and Adley Rushman and Bobby Witt. I mean, the, the Royals have been on, in on Bobby Witt this whole spring. He's played well. He has extremely high upside, as I've talked about before. And then Adley Rushman... If you haven't seen it already or got your hands on it, our draft preview issue of the magazine is out now. You should be able to We actually we have our yes. hands on it now. Love the cover. Adley Rutschman is featured prominently in this issue as the consensus top talent. And I would be very surprised if anyone other than him was the first name in okay, June. So let's let's now give me the counter, JJ. Let's dive into your, that for a second. I can see your uh, wheels whirling right here. Let's dive into that for a second. Yeah. I would say yes, I would say it's absolutely a surprise. We've had Adley Rushman as number one in our mock, I believe. 
I think our, our very early mock immediately after last year's draft, we had Bobby Witt one, but the next time we did anything, I think the next mock was December, and Adley was one, but very quickly when we started our rankings, Adley, well, the first time we ever had combined rankings for this class, it was Adley number one, and he stayed there. So, you know, and so it would be a surprise. Like, you hear rumblings, again, any player, I, I would have loved, I was, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not old enough that I was here and party to the uh, A-Rod as a draft prospect discussions. Because mm-hmm. um, I would have loved to have heard that. But, but yeah. any player has to be picked apart. Like, you know, that's just the reality of it. That's what the draft process is. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the questions that you get with Rushman are, are so minor yeah. in general. Do you like the bat? No, the bat's great. It's really good. Does he have power? Oh, yeah, he has power. Mm-hmm. What about as a receiver? I mean, he really runs that staff. It's one of the best staffs in college baseball. He's been the leader of it now for three years. You know, he really seems to embrace us being a catcher, okay? What about the arm? Well, we've seen we've seen 80 times at its yeah. absolute best. Like, I remember you having a video from last summer. Yeah, that Josh we Norris actually took that video, so credit him. But, yeah, yeah. we got to see him with And we literally, I, I think we all put a stopwatch on it like five We clocked it a, like a million times because we didn't know that it could be that quick or that it was supposed to be that quick. We thought we were just jumping the gun. But, no, it is a strong arm. I mean, he's but dealt with some. That's, I think, yeah, I was going to say. Then, yeah, but then that, So you find that the nitpick you find mm-hmm. is, is the questions of arm slash shoulder, mm-hmm. which largely from what we can ascertain, mm-hmm. revolve around the fact that he does not throw much other than in games. Mm-hmm. Which I will point out, and I want to get your impression on this, and get like how what percentage chance you think there is that the Orioles could get in a different direction. But the impression I get is, is if you're a catcher who catches all three weekend games and also generally catches the midweek, mm-hmm. I don't. I would not throw a whole lot either. Yeah. I, I don't need. That's not in season. What I'm getting my throws in is not the big thing that I'm looking to do. Yeah, no doubt. But what I mean, what do you think? I mean, I kind of agree with that, and it's hard for us without having the medical information that the team, which have. we cannot get exactly. <laughs> like, if something does happen, it's going to be some detail in the medical that we don't have the information on that Baltimore just gets scared about, and even then, like. With 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 his package, even then I would be surprised. I mean, last year we heard rumblings, and I, I I bet it's like this every year. You can probably speak to that more. But last year we heard rumblings that the Tigers were looking into options outside of Casey Mize. I heard more of those rumors last year than I have to this point with Adley Rutschman going number one uh, to the yes. Orioles. And we still have a few days for those to kind of matriculate around. But I would still put it as a very, very, very low chance that he doesn't. I mean, it would be something – it would have to be something – Something in the medical, I would guess, that just pops up. I mean, and the thing to me is, is that one last reminder on that. And again, we are not saying that there is anything yeah, in yeah, Ali Rush's sure, medical. Sure. Let's make clear this. We're just we're trying to lay out all the options. Even mm-hmm. if there was, the system as it stands right now does not really preclude you from taking a player. You know that you're going to have a medical exam mm-hmm. before the contract is finalized. Mm-hmm. That's part of all these contracts. If there's nothing. That everyone shakes hands and, mm-hmm. you know, that the number one pick is the face of the Orioles franchise going forward. If there is something found in the medical and both sides agree on it, mm-hmm. usually at that point you can come to some sort of negotiation. Mm-hmm. If that happened, again, and we're not saying it would, but if that happened, then in this hypothetical scenario, 
that would mean that the Orioles would have extra money to spend elsewhere in the draft yeah. class because they would still sign the number one pick and they would save money. The third scenario is the Orioles think some, they see something that they don't like in the medical. Mm-hmm. The player drafted disagrees mm-hmm. and you don't sign. They still offer them a, a reduced amount. Basically to, the amount to ensure the comp pick next right. year. If that happens, if you're the Orioles, the worst case scenario is you get the second pick in next year's draft, mm-hmm. which Michael Elias, who's now the GM of Baltimore, had a scenario like this that played out that way when he was in Houston as mm-hmm. a scouting director, and they didn't sign Brady Aiken, and they did sign Alex Bregman, and I don't think that if you're the Astros and you had to play it exactly over again that you would play it all that differently mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah, so, exactly, and, and that kind of leads into the – Maybe one of the bigger pieces of news in the draft, at least at the top end, uh, that we had come out this week is the Carter Stewart situation. Uh, it was reported earlier this week, Monday or Tuesday, I believe. This, today's right it's now. Been a blur. Either way, it was reported that Carter it was, Stewart... It was, it was 150 re- uh, reports <laughs> ago for us. I know yes, that much. Yes, that's the timeline. Carter Stewart had agreed to a deal with a Japanese league team, uh, and, and this was a situation that he went through last year with the Braves. Something came up with the medical. They didn't agree. Couldn't agree on a deal. Uh, we actually have a couple questions about this, and I want to throw this to you, JJ, because okay. you wrote a piece, and if you guys haven't read, JJ kind of broke down the Carter Stewart situation and what this could mean or not mean for players in the future. But um, Chop NC 93 asks, is the Carter Stewart decision only the beginning in seeing potential draftees forego MILB for overseas money? And then Patrick Brewer 93 asks a similar question. Any rumblings on guys taking the Carter Stewart route and bypassing the draft altogether? Um, I'll just let you go ahead and take it from here okay. and, and talk, well, kind of just talk us through like what you think this means and what you've heard from people that you've talked to in doing that piece and, and how, kind of how this can affect people going around the draft if they're going to do that in the future. Uh, let's start with let's start with the, the, the facts that we know, mm-hmm. which are Stewart's deal. Like when I say facts, okay, multiple uh, outlets. I think Jeff Passan reported first that the deal was six, is six years, seven million dollars. Yeah, he had the money. So six years, $7 million. We can comfortably say that unless Carter Stewart was one of the fastest moving pitchers in recent years Mm -hmm. coming out of the JUCO ranks, really, considering he's coming out of the JUCO ranks, he would have to be like the fastest mover. Yeah. Anything other than that, we can comfortably say that he is going to make more money over the next six years with this deal mm-hmm. than he would have if he just stayed in the States. Assuming because, that he would have been an early second-round pick, I think right. is the assumption that you right. used. You yeah. can make $7 million in the draft. Mm-hmm. You could make $5 million in the draft and make more than $7 million because you could make it to the majors. Once you make it to the majors, mm-hmm. that's going to be, by that point, at least probably $600,000 minimum salary. Yep. Even if you have an arbitration at the end of the next six years, you could get to $7 million or slightly over it. But if you're going to be, we were saying, being optimistic for Stewart. Let's say mm-hmm. he's a top of the second round pick. That's like $2 million. Yeah, we have him ranked right in that range now at number uh, 38 and, on our board. And let's say also, like, we, there are players who are really hard to rank because, mm-hmm. you, for one, as I've had advisors slash agents put it to me, it's like, I don't need 30 teams in on a guy. I need ideally four or five. Yeah. If I have four or five... And so that's when you're trying to rank these, it gets hard. Yep. When you throw in medical questions like Carter Stewart has had, you know, with having a him not sign last year, it gets more difficult. Mm-hmm. 
but let's say he gets $2 million. Financially, minor league pay is really, really, really paltry. Yes. So when you're making $8,000 or $10,000 a year, you know, for, your, for the next several years, mm-hmm. it's really hard to get to $7 million. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. But I'm not saying you won't see anyone else do it, but there are several reasons that it is hard to believe that this is going to become the significant trend. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, I, you, there is a very limited number of players going, playing in Japan from the States at mm-hmm. any time. There's a four-player active roster limit. Now, if a team wants to, they could, they could essentially you know, start signing these U.S. amateurs and kind of build up a farm system, have a few of these players, mm-hmm. and they don't really count towards that limit until they're up on the active roster. Yeah. But that said, you know, okay, so that's a it's a very small minor league system in Japan also. This mm-hmm. is not something where you're going to see, you know, 50 players go over there. It's not really a, a realistic option that mm-hmm. way. But the other part of it is is that it's it's hard. This is this is the part of it that is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out for Carter Stewart. It is not easy, and let's acknowledge at the top end that this is, when I say this, it's something that players from the Dominican Republic, uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Panama, Mm -hmm. experience all the time, where they have to adjust to playing in a different culture, with a different language, Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of adjustments to be made. That's what Carter Stewart's going to be doing. He's going to be going to Japan where, you know, there are cultural adjustments to make. Ideally, you know, you're at an age, I did take linguistics in college, at an age where it's more difficult to add uh, a new language. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you need, you're going to be there six years during the summers. Well, when I say summers, I should say it's Japan training. February through, you know, September, October. Yeah. You're going to want to learn the language in some way shape or form, you know, all those, the cultural acclimations. We've had players before who struggled, veteran players went over to Japan and struggled partly because they really, it's not like you can't find Western food yeah. in some of the major cities, but it is something where the food in some cases, you, I mean, ideally you're an adventurous eater because <laughs> you want to adjust to eating in a different culture. And if you do, it's going to make your next six years way more enjoyable than if you say, no, no, no. I'm not acclimating to, you know, a fish-based diet and, you know, yeah. learning to love the joys of, hey, Japanese food, there's a lot of great Japanese food, sushi, oct- octopus, many things. But you have to learn, you know, that has to be something ideally that you adjust to. Okay, take all that aside. For this to work financially as a big payday, Stewart has to get to six years of playing in the MPB, not the minors. Yeah, the minors. The MPB. Yep. You know, and again, when you say six years, I... From the sense I get from talking to people, even Major League Baseball doesn't have the exact parameters of that fully codified. If he's if he's up for you know two months of the season, does that count as a year mm-hmm. versus if he was up for the full year to be determined to be evaluated later on? But six years mm-hmm. and age twenty five, and then he could come back to the states, assuming that he was either posted or just released. But mm-hmm. let's say he was posted then he would have a chance to hit free agency in the U.S. at an age that is impossible, basically, for an American-based draftee to hit free agency. So that's the 
It all goes great. Carter mm. Stewart dominates in Japan. He looks like, uh, you know, uh, Tanaka on the mound, and he comes over to the U.S. He signs a six-figure deal, you know, multi- for you know many years, and this is wow, that went great. But that's if it all goes great. There's also the scenario where, again, we talked about four players in four players on the active mm-hmm. roster. If Carter Stewart who's coming over at a very young age. Mm-hmm. The MPB is very good. Yeah. If he was playing here, Carter Stewart would be heading off to, let's just put him on the Nate Pearson plan. He'd be heading off to A-ball. You know, he'd be in A-ball to start next year, and then he would you know, mm-hmm. ideally be in double-A, and he'd be looking at the major leagues in three to four years. Yeah. That, that timetable could be speed sped Accelerated up path competition-wise, yeah. And so... Let's say, though, if it doesn't work out, if he wants to hit that free agency mark, he still has to get to six years of playing at a top-level league. If there's ever a point where they say this isn't working out and he's released or whatever, or he's sent to the minors for a full year, that's not accruing the years that he needs to hit mm-hmm. that mark. So there, it's, it's not easy. So I know I went long-winded on this. <laughs> I always No, do. I think it's good. It's a complicated but, topic. But the thing that stands out is, is when you say, well, I got in this question a lot, people asking, is this something where we're going to see this happen a lot? And the best answer I can give is, is I don't think so, because no. I don't think that there are a ton of players in yeah. the U.S. who are willing to say, I'm going to go mm-hmm. to Japan or Korea well, or wherever for six years. Well, even just look at the steps that it took for, for Carter to presumably make this decision. He was drafted originally. Didn't agree to a deal because a medical situation came up. That's rare in and of itself for that situation. He originally went to a JUCO near home, and basically the plan was just be eligible in the 2019 draft and do it again. Okay, after that, he didn't have the best season, and was I, I would assume you're just worried that the medical situation is going to pop up again, so you want some alternatives to that. So there are a few specific things that happened just to get the player to be even in a situation where you consider this to start with. And then you talk about all the cultural adjustments you have to make. You, you talk about the pathway I just don't see this, be, like, and, I agree with you. I just don't see that many people wanting to pursue and that sort of a path. From the financial standpoint, mm-hmm. you also, it's a pretty small subset of players who are both good enough to intrigue exactly. a Japanese exactly. team to sign him, yeah. but also not good enough. Yeah, it's not like... Adley you, Rushman's not doing this, because if you're Adley Rushman, you would be taking less money. Yeah, and it's not like, yeah, like you said, it's not like any kid who doesn't have the, the draft attention that he wants, can just decide to go to Japan. They have to want you, too. It's a good point. Right. So you put those two together, and we're talking about a pretty mm-hmm. small population of people who are even, of players who of even this is a possibility. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, we don't expect that to happen. But a lot. If, I'm if, not saying he won't be the only yeah, one, yeah. but it's not going to happen a lot, I don't think. For sure. And if you want JJ's full story, definitely go check out BaseballAmerica.com. You can read all of that in detail if he didn't cover it in detail enough for you here. Um, so now I, I want to ask you a question, which yeah. is, is, so now we're going to dive in a little deeper at some point. We've got mm-hmm. questions to answer. Mm-hmm. But I, in fact, actually, you know what? We're going to start at the top of the class, though. And a question by J. Markle BYB asked, which fits in with this, mm-hmm. which is we talked about how the top six is kind of mm-hmm. encased in, you know, kind of concrete at this point, it mm-hmm. feels like. So the question is, is why is Andrew Vaughn's stock slowly sliding? Yeah. And... I ask that because, I mean, Andrew Vaughn, mm-hmm. I get that. If, I get that question while you're getting it, which is, yeah. is that at one point we were talking about could Andrew Vaughn go one, you yeah. know, things like that. 
And now in mocks, you're you know you're kind of writing these mocks, and you're saying, well, Andrew Vaughn may end up mm -hmm. at four or five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my my shortest answer would be I just don't think it is falling. I know that's probably not the answer that you were looking for, but I do think that a lot of the attention Vaughn got at the beginning of the year, and we wrote about it that he could he had a chance to become the highest drafted college first baseman uh, because of what he did. He's cooled off. He isn't hitting it at that level. So I think yeah, it's only, after it's a great year, not a wow, it's a great year, not a, exactly, year. exactly. He's still the best hitter in the class. So I think I, I, mean, see, I, would, I would debate. I know you think that. Yeah I, I, yeah, I mean, you could you could definitely argue it, but as far as like hitting and hitting for power with the plate discipline, I mean, you can make an argument. I'll just say I, he's I, arguably the best hitter. I will in the say, class. but again, now this is not enough. Like, yeah. there's, it's more than this statistically. I would now say Adley Rushman, we talked about he's cooled off. Mm. Statistically, Adley Rushman is now having a better season mm. than Andrew Vaughn, which, again, yeah. when you talk about it, when you, when you talk about him cooling off, I mean, that is part of it is, is mm -hmm. that when you look at Rushman doing what he's doing mm. as potentially a gold glove catcher, and then you see Vaughn, it's like, okay, Rushman's got him by a few points mm -hmm. in bat, same conference, got him by a few points in batting average, got another homer than him, uh, you know. Basically, they're both around that same range, I believe, on OBP. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, again, when Vaughn is a bat-only guy, a first baseman, yeah, that does ding is the wrong word, but that does make him it factors into it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would just say that like he's still solidly in this top six, and I think that more than anything, this might be just team preference more than a, a player stock within the industry falling. And you have another guy like JJ Bladé. I think maybe the biggest difference is that. Previously, there was no other college hitter aside from Rutschman um, early in the cycle that was above Andrew Vaughn. And with the way that J.J. Bladé has played, with the way he's hit in the SEC tournament, um, again, you look at the defensive value that he has. While Bladé is likely a corner guy at the next level and maybe just a solid corner guy, that's still more valuable than a first baseman. And, I and think more traditional, too. It, like exactly. And I, I think, yeah, you talk about the, the height of Andrew Vaughn and just that profile in general, but... Bladé's track record also is against better pitching in the SEC, and he's done it with a wood bat. Not like any of these guys haven't done it with a wood bat, but I think Bladé has put himself... I think more. it's more Bladé rising up the board, I would say, than Andrew Vaughn falling by any means, in my mind. I don't think a he's really A player in the SEC leading the country in home runs is going to raise eyebrows. Exactly. I mean, like, again, we've used this before, I believe. I know in the office, maybe on the podcast, but you look at what Jonathan India did last year. To rise up. And again, great... not that everyone didn't know who Jonathan India was in high school mm -hmm. and all that. But Jonathan India went from being like a nice, probably day two prospect yes. when the season began last year. Had a great SEC season and all of a sudden he's, you know, he's a top five mm -hmm. pick. And I would say that they are very similar and that's the, that's the player everyone points to because it happened last year. SEC, same thing, increased in power. But even where Blade started this year before the power was, was much higher, was much more pick. highly thought of than Jonathan India, which kind of speaks to how impressive he's been. I, I've talked with some people that have asked me, oh, is, is there any concern because Bladé's track record isn't that great? Well, his track record is really good. His previous years, he's always hit well. It's just the power finally started coming. So It's funny, he's, and he does, it does seem like, we saw this week about how he really can hit, mm -hmm. the five for five day where he basically is going oppo every time. Yep. He has traded off some batting average for power this year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you, you kind of like that trade when, like, just look at his SEC numbers. 
He's hit 304 in the SEC, which is not, you know, exceptional, but it's still very fine. 13 homers in 30 SEC games, mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's really loud. Yeah. And that's, you know, but so it feels like we have this six. Mm-hmm. Then it feels like we're starting to see like a, you, mm-hmm. you wrote about this in the mock. You, we we kind of have a, a seven to, you can call it 10, you can call it 11 yeah. range that it, it may not be concrete, mm-hmm. but it's, it's firming up. It's starting up. to narrow a little bit. And I think Nick Lodolo is the first one you talk about in that range. And I talked with some people who think Lodolo is actually safely in that top seven. And they said, oh, we think it's more of a top seven than a top six. Lodolo has finished very strong. I'll ask you that, though. Where, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I can see that. The one thing about that, though, is this, like the yeah. guy who ends up... Riley Green, I think we think his range is like four to six is kind of where it mm-hmm. starts. Where's Nick Lodolo's high end, do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's anywhere high. I, I do think it's seven. Like, so, so he really, you yeah. know, like that's where I kind of seem it, like separate. For sure, it? for sure. I, it is separate from this group. But I think the point that he was trying to make is at this point, he doesn't even see him falling uh, to number eight. It's just that's how well he's done. And that's maybe the difference in this, this next tier. But um, then you talk about some other guys like uh, Jackson Rutledge and Hunter Bishop who have done dramatic things for their draft stock all year. Very toolsy players. Obviously, one's a pitcher and one's a hitter. And then the next kind of couple that are in this grouping, maybe towards the back end, are your Bryson Stotts at Nevada, Las Vegas, Alec Manoa at West Virginia, and then Zach Thompson at Kentucky. I think those are probably the guys. Maybe a Shea Langoliers is in that range, but I think you get more variations with where teams see him fitting at this point even still. Um, So those are the guys that we're hearing a lot about at the top. It sounds like it's going to go hitter heavy, and then right around this number number ten range, you're going to have a string of college pitching come off the board after your Hunter Bishops and maybe a Stott goes off the board. So that's and how then, we see it kind of at this point. And then once you get into the teens, oh, it gets crazy. It's going to get wild. Number one, the Diamondbacks are there, and, and we've written about this throughout the spring. They're going to be a pivot point in the draft. They've got, I think, $3 million more million than anyone else as far as bonus pool money to work with, four picks in the first round. Um, so a, a lot of teams that are picking around them are going to have to wonder about players. If a player starts sliding, uh, the obvious stopping point is 16. Like we saw this last year with the Royals and the Rays. They got two guys who mm-hmm. we thought were top five, top six talents. I think we had Brady Singer yeah, we're both five. Of, I think, we yeah. had Matthew Libertor too. But either way, both those guys end up sliding into the teens to the two teams who have the biggest pools. So there are a number of ways the Diamondbacks can go about this, but I think that a lot of the teams in the teens are just scouting a very wide net of players at this point just because they had to prepare for it and they don't know which scenarios are going to come up. To, to circle it back to the number one pick thing again for mm-hmm. just a second, you know, when you talk about the possibility, when we talk about the possibility of Adley Rushman not going one, if you don't take Adley Rushman one, most of those scenarios revolve around signing, drafting someone else, getting a discount, using that money elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The thing that stands out that we've talked to multiple, you know, scouting directors about, multiple agents about, uh, a lot of people who are deeply involved in this draft. Mm-hmm. The flattening of the slots makes that tougher. But mm-hmm. even more than that, a few years ago. Again, the Bregman draft. The mm-hmm. Astros did that where they got Bregman, they got Tucker, and then they got Daz Cameron mm-hmm. with their next pick after everyone else had basically picked because they had the money mm-hmm. to get Cameron at essentially the same money, the same $4 million that they spent on Kyle Tucker yeah. you know, at the top of the draft. 
that's not really a realistic scenario no. nowadays because, for one, the D-backs have more money in this draft class. Than yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, too. In the draft you're talking about, the Astros had more money than everyone, and they picked at the top twice. I, I, ju- I just think that's the biggest thing is the if money. You if you don't have the money, now, if you try to float a guy past four Diamondbacks picks in between your two picks, you are, you're just taking a huge risk. If, if you try to float three guys down and see if, you know, like... yeah. You're, no, you're still running. You have multiple teams with you have the Braves with two picks in between. You have the Dodgers with two picks in between. You have the Diamondbacks with four. There are just a lot of teams that have multiple picks in this first round, um, and there's not any guarantee that the guy that you want is going to get there. Happens. And you're talking about at that point, you're talking about a guy that's say it's in the top ten. Who are you going to try and float? between that pick and the 21. It just doesn't seem like it makes sense. If you want to float a high school arm, well, there's not a high school arm who's going to command the... Exactly. You know, like, again, like... It just seems like this is a draft where maybe you played a little bit more straight on the talent and you, you don't see as many guys... You're still going to have money to sign, you know, like... Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who just slides naturally, maybe. Not, not that anyone's trying to float a player, but who slides to one of these and, picks just because that's a good landing spot. That'll be something I'm curious to see. The other thing to remember, you know, we're still 10 days out, but mm-hmm. another thing to remember with this is, is that there are players, you know, we saw it last year. Like, on talent, Kumar Rocker was a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. He's shown that this year. Mm-hmm. The fact that Kumar Rocker did not hear his name called in the first, second, third, whatever, did not change that fact. I mean, I know yep. this is really simple for some of the people listening to this, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but I know it's also it's sometimes it's something that I've had people ask me this question mm-hmm. before, so I want to clarify, which is it's like, I'll be very interested to see where Jack Leiter goes. I was about to point to him because another Vanderbilt commit who at this point is the biggest threat to just not sign and make it to campus, and he's a guy who is a first-round talent by pretty much everyone that we've talked to. Maybe but it's just the a most matter of, polished oh, high for sure. pitcher if, in this class. If I was picking a guy, that's the guy I would say he's the best prep pitcher, just pure pitcher. In the class, and he's got way, legitimate he's, stuff too. It's not he's like he's a brisk, big, he's, breaking ball too, and he throws ninety-seven. He's not. He's not a pitchability righty. I would say he touches ninety-seven. Touches, touches, yeah. Um, but he has a very solid fastball. It's above average or plus pitch. I mean, yeah, he he has this stuff. But that's the that's the risk here. Is he is it, does he want to go to campus? Is he going to find a spot with any team that has the bonus pool money to give him whatever he wants? At, before last year, I would say <clears> that if he went in the first round. Mm-hmm. It would mean that he is going to sign. Mm-hmm. I can't say that as much after last year because yep. what teams, again, we have to constantly adjust. We, try, we, we adjust to try to report on how the teams are doing this, mm-hmm. but often we're a little bit of a lagging indicator. I apologize about that, but it's just the reality of it, which is, is that we had a stretch where teams were just not going to draft a guy in the first round if they weren't confident they were going to sign him. Mm-hmm. And now we have teams saying, I'll take the talent, and the worst-case scenario is is I get basically the same pick next year. Yep. We saw that with JT Ginn, Cole Wilcox, Matt McClain. Who am I forgetting? There's another one. Gunnar Hoagland was later. But. Yes. So you see that, especially on the high school side, where it's like, okay, we'll take that chance. And so mm-hmm. we could see you know, what some of these high school pitchers get drafted and it's not signed. Mm-hmm. It is possible. We saw that last year. But it is something where, you know, yeah. again, signability does play a, a part in where these guys get drafted. Yeah, no doubt. I think we, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the process of the 500, but sometimes people ask us how it, how it gets done. Did you want to talk at all about sure. kind of the process of our 500, where we're at right now, and then your baby, the stateless? So, and I want you to 
because you're involved in this process <laughs> even more than I am. Yeah. I mean, like to start, mm -hmm. like we literally are working in this giant document, well, spreadsheet that we've been working in, that you've been working in yeah. especially for over, it, it's been built out for basically, it is at this point, I would say 350 days at least of really hardcore work on it. Yeah, for sure. We have a 2020, you know, 2021s, but you know, that we're working on now, but like the last year, it's all about assembling as much information mm -hmm. as we can. We, we can literally at this point say that we have hundreds of thousands of words of information, of, notes, yeah. of notes on these players that we're then trying to synthesize. Mm -hmm. But one thing with that is, is that when you were doing a 500, I mean, just being completely transparent about it, as we're going through, as we are writing guys in the three, 200s, 300s, 400s, mm -hmm. the mere process of doing that yeah. kind of does lead to some more tweaks though too. Because 100%. You, as much as you're trying to bear down on every single player in it, mm -hmm. sometimes the process of gathering all the information together again and writing it mm -hmm. is needed to kind of go, oh wait, this guy needs to move up, oh this guy needs to move down. Yeah. Or it leads to, I've got to reach out to a scout and then, or two scouts, and then, mm -hmm. you know, and oh, okay, I got some more feedback, we need to tweak this. Yeah, it's just a constant information gathering that starts really since a week after last year's draft and we're just constantly tweaking and adjusting and reevaluating and and not only do players change just when we get new information but the players themselves are changing throughout this process I mean I was just talking with Josh about this today just how frequently players at this level they're so young and they're doing so many different things just change and the entire evaluation of them can change from the beginning of the season to the middle to the end so just constantly staying on top of that is is a challenge it's a fun challenge too I mean, to give just a, I mean, again, like a random example, but mm -hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm working on, you know, stuff and I'm, you know, keeping, trying to keep track, dibs on, you know, track of Texas. And mm -hmm. it's like, all of a sudden it's like Lake Travis, which is one of the most talented teams in the country. Mm -hmm. They've got Brett Beatty, they've got Jimmy Lewis. They actually, you know, have, uh, uh, you know, a couple other guys who are mm -hmm. interested as well. But Jimmy Lewis didn't pitch in their semifinal playoff series. And it's like, oh, well, I better track down. Like, okay, so why is that? It mm -hmm. seems like it's relatively minor. Although, again, you know, there's it's always hard to know right before the draft. But it seems like mm -hmm. relatively minor. But, I mean, that's just an example of a scenario where you could have a guy who's cruising along and, you know, a week, two weeks before the draft, all of a sudden everything changes. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is, is, you know, you could have guys who, I mean, we've been talking and reporting on this going back, you know, going back to last summer, but especially the spring, mm. going back to February, and sometimes you look at notes, and we, we time date our, you know, our notes, and it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is where he was mm -hmm. in March, and sometimes for good, he's way better than he was in March, and sometimes mm -hmm. for bad, he's not nearly what he was in March. Exactly. Cameron Misner, when, in, in February, we yep. were getting, Cameron Misner may be a top 10 prospect. Top five we were getting. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the tools weren't being there. The performance early on before he got into conference play was fantastic. Conference play started, and it's been exactly the opposite direction, and now he's a guy who you're wondering, okay, how far is he going to fall? Is he going to end up in the first round? We still think so, just because of the tool set. But, yeah, I mean, these players are all over the place. Um, it's a fun challenge to kind of continue tracking them and, and just talking to as many people as possible 
There are um, not enough hours in the day, um, but no, it is and fun. We only have like, ten days left. Jeez. You know, but and Let's, we have so we'll have the five hundred. Then we'll roll out state list, mm-hmm. which we'll get the rankings out, and then as many reports as we can. Yep. In the lead up to the next the draft, which really, again, our goal on state list is is we get the rankings out. The reports may be all through the week because mm-hmm. the good news with that is is if you're if we're writing a report on the state list, that's really more of an end of day two, early day three is mm-hmm. when those reports really kind of come to. Uh, mm-hmm. To really kind of kick in because, and if you've already read uh, read all the 500 reports and you're just dying to read more state list reports, then you are a fantastic reader, and we appreciate we tip your our, attention. We tip our caps <laughs> to you. Um, Wanted to touch on a couple deep sleepers since we have we, we talk a lot about the first round. Obviously, this, these are the players that the most fans are are interested in. But since we have expanded our scouting reports, we wanted to touch on a few. Guys that we like further into the draft. JJ, I'll let you go first. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you. You, okay. you started out because you're, you're the question that we're gonna. We've, we've planned this a little bit. Yeah. I want to lead off mine after the question that we have from Brian Recca there. So. You okay, can. cool. So I'll give you one, and this is a. Uh, he's an outfielder slash first baseman out of the Chicago area. His name is Jason Hodges. Um, he's a guy who has just really impressive power. I got to see him at the uh, National High School Invitational this spring. The this, this swing looks really good mechanically. The bat speed's there. The plane is there. Um, but he's just struggled a little bit this spring. Hasn't hit as much as scouts have wanted to see. But I saw him at his best when he is making contact. And when he does, it's, it's awesome to see. Kind of earlier on in this process, he was a guy that we had higher up. Kind of as we were talking he's, about, we, we just saw that he, he wasn't performing as well. As you kind of want the to see. The feedback you get from scouts is like, nope, you need to move. Exactly. Back. But the, the pure talent is there, and it's very exciting. He's an Arkansas commit, so it'll be interesting to see if he makes it to campus or if there's a team uh, that decides to take a chance on that power. But um, yeah, we can go ahead and move into your. So, so, so Brian Recca asked, do you expect any two way players being used on both sides of the ball as a pro, at least initially? Seems to be several strong candidates this year. Uh, I, I will stop it there. He gives example. I will give the Ryan Olenek example, a guy who has always been talked about to do that. Yeah. And it's kind of cool that right here at the very end of his senior year, all of a sudden he's like pitching high leverage situations uh-huh. coming out of the pen for Ole Miss, which has been really cool. Center fielder slash now closer at yeah. times too. So, but uh, but I'm going to tee you up on one of your guys, and then I've got a guy who is a deep sleeper to be a two-way guy. Yeah, one of mine is uh, Connor Grammys, and this is actually a guy that was mentioned in the tweet to us. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher and hitter, I guess, is the best way to classify his defensive position because the question is where he's going to play for Xavier. I got to see him very early on this year uh, when he matched up with North Carolina, and this guy has an electric arm. He's got a fastball that's in the upper 90s regularly. He has a slider that the first couple innings I saw it, I was like, eh, it kind of needs some work, but then... All of a sudden, he gets on top of it in the third inning and is flashing an above-average slider. Um, statistically, he hasn't performed very well at Xavier on the mound. I think it's a it's a real strike-throwing issue with him. So there is all the raw stuff in there to have maybe a lights-out reliever. Um, but at the same time, he's been a very good hitter for Xavier, and he's got he's got lightning quick not lightning quick. He's got a quick bat from the right side with some strength. He runs pretty well. I kind of personally like him as a hitter more. I think teams are a little bit split. I mean, it's hard to, to see what he can do on the mound with that fastball velocity and that slider and not try it out. Um, but I do think he's a guy who, who could have a chance to do both at the next level. Okay, so I'm going to go not a deep sleeper as far as a, he's, he's a deep sleeper as far as being a two-way guy, which mm-hmm. is I'm going to throw out Texas Tech's John McMillan. Mm-hmm. Wrote him up in 2016 in the uh, draft class coming out of high school, and he was a 
absolute true two-way. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of that year because I think also that you had the Joe Davis, the Houston uh, senior. Maybe he was a twenty. Davis may have been twenty fifteen. But so McMillan was seen as having big power and a big power arm. Mm-hmm. He's been almost entirely a pitcher at Texas Tech. He fits very much also when we talk about how guys change over the year. Yeah. John McMillan, junior year, very important year, obviously, for him draft-wise. And he was kind of awful at the start of the year. I mean, you know, the velocity was not, we've seen 97, 98, 99 before. It was more low 90s at the start of the year, not throwing strikes with it. I think you get, you know, a month in the season, he had like double the walks that he had strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you talk to scouts at that time, which we're doing reporting for this. So, like, I mean, like, a lot of the notes we have, it's like, I don't know about this guy, you know. And, and then you watch him late in the season. And, that you know, TCU and Texas Tech had that epic game very recently, like a week ago maybe, 17 innings, I think, or whatever. And so Texas Tech handed McMillan the ball in the 11th. And... It was everything that you wanted to see from John McMillan. It was high 90s fastball that was getting swings and misses up in the zone. He was, he was getting looking strikeouts because he was locating it. You know, he'd set a guy up and he'd put that fastball mm-hmm. on the outer, you know, basically the outer top corner of the plate, or he'd mix in a changeup, or he'd bury a slider mm-hmm. and get a swing and miss on it. He was just really impressive. So you've got that part, which is, is like a guy's change. He's now kind of. Showing again what you want to see from him. Mm-hmm. But then you throw on top of it. He's only got to do it a little bit. He did a little bit last summer. I mean, I think if you added up all of John McMillan's college age at-bats, it would be less than 100. And it would be probably a 180 batting average over mm-hmm. that time, but with some, some home runs in there. <laughs> he has massive raw power. Yeah. Massive, massive, massive. And... So I throw him out there as, it would not stun me. Now, he would be a truly difficult one to do this with because his bat, understandably, is light years behind the arm. Mm -hmm. That said, I mean, he's athletic. He has massive power. Mm -hmm. And if a team said, you know, we want to see what he can do with the I think he likes to hit from everything I understand, too. If you gave him that opportunity, okay, you know, it would be interesting to see mm-hmm. what happens with that. So, yep. but I kick it back to you then. So I'm going to ping pong it back to you. So Jason Hodges, Connor Grammys, who's another guy that for you a sleeper, like 200 range plus? And I know John McMillan, let me yeah. just preface, I think he's like 189. Yeah, JJ's cheating. He's taking guys near the top of the draft. So I will, all blur together now. I will keep it real with you guys and give you another 200-plus guy at this point. And this guy is definitely probably a little underrated just because he plays uh, next to Adley Rutschman every day in the lineup. That's uh, Oregon State shortstop Bo Phillip. Uh, and he's interesting for a number of reasons. I think in general because replacing Caden Grenier as a shortstop at Oregon State is definitely a tall task. That is. Kind of the defensive acumen that, that he had at that level but I think Philip has kind of just stepped in those shoes and, and performed nicely he moves really well side to side uh, he's got a good glove there good defensive instincts and a very strong arm and he's actually hit well I think the hit tool is the biggest question with Philip. but at this point as of this recording he's second on the team in hitting with the 311 average 359 OBP 476 slugging percentage couple home runs previously he's stolen a lot of bases not as much this year but 
he does a lot of things well, and I really like college shortstops. And we talk about the two-way players. Bo Phillip is not a two-way player, but I know it's been talked about that he has enough of an arm when he does get on the mound. I guess in the past he has hopped on there and been like in the mid-90s. So he's a guy who, if if he goes out, option. exactly a fall. If he goes out and he just can't hit at the pro level, hey, throw him on the mound and see if he can figure it out. It's been a good time for looking at fallback options. I mean, again, we we follow these guys for in. One of the things we love about doing this at Baseball America is, is that we're not slicing and dicing mm-hmm. it. Like, we're trying to follow guys from high school to the big leagues. Yeah. Rowan Wick just made it up. I remember when yeah. Rowan Wick was drafted, and it's like, yeah, he's got... When I just talked about John McMillan, take the John McMillan scouting part. I think Rowan Wick's a little less athletic than John McMillan. Mm. But it was very similar. It's like, he's got big power. I don't know if he's going to hit enough to make it matter. Mm. And he's got a big arm. Well, he yeah. went out as a position player... And he didn't hit enough. Yeah. He had a great New York Penn League, and then it all kind of fell apart. Yeah. They put him on the mound, and, yeah, he throws really hard. Hey, he's made the big leagues. And we mm-hmm. have Robert Stock who's done that. Yeah. We have many guys. Well, even in this joke, we actually got one more question. I'll just throw this, this in right now. A question from uh, at M. Payne without mm-hmm. the A. He said, where do you see Seth Johnson going in the first round? And, and that's Seth Johnson, basically. He was at a, a junior college as a shortstop, an athletic guy who never really figured it out with the bat. Uh, and he had a strong arm, and Campbell was like, okay, we're going to see what we got here. And it turns out you have a potential first-round pick. His stuff is electric. I think at this point, to answer your question, um, back of the first round sounds a lot more likely in the kind of 25-plus range. You really don't start hearing his name a lot until then. So at this point, I would say back of the first round, the comp round, to answer your question. But, JJ, do you have another guy or two that you want to talk about before we get out of here? Yes, I do. But, um, like, Seth Johnson, by the way, is interesting also because, like, he struggled lately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hasn't pitched, you know, like the, his innings are tailing off and all that, yeah. which all of this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, part of the evaluation you have to make is, is the guy who... It's his first full season pitching. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I can't find a scout, I can't find a coach who's mm-hmm. seen Michael Massey play who doesn't like Michael Massey. Let me just interject really quick and say, once again, you've decided to cheat the game and go with a guy. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Okay, so I'm No, no, tell, tell me about Michael Massey. He's right. interesting. I just want to uh, give you a hard time about it. He's close enough. We have him 189, so that's close enough. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm cheating this, and I'm not meaning to. But You like the guys you like, JJ. I, I, I do. But, well, you know, people get enthused talking about Michael Messi. Mm-hmm. Like, he really, it, it is something where it's, when you say, like, a scout's favorite, mm-hmm. a lot of times what that means is, is it's a guy who you're going to get uh, you know, you're going to get the same runtime every time when you go in first. Mm-hmm. Like a, there's there's these little things mm-hmm. that, that you know that do stand yeah. out. But more than that, it's usually a guy who really can hit. Who really, it seems like it. Whatever the situation, he wants to be up there. Mm-hmm. Whatever the situation, he's going to to live up to those expectations. You know, Illinois State, uh, you know, has had a, a pretty good track record of uh, of you know. Of, he's an Illinois guy. There's an Illinois State guy too. He, he's Illinois. Yeah. Illinois, you know, has also had a track record of producing guys. Um, you know, it's it's something where he's not going to be a first rounder. He's not going to be a second rounder. It's going to be a nice though. He's going to go on day two, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of guys I talk to who are very confident that he's going to. He's a future big leaguer, mm-hmm. and he is the kind of guy who you might end up looking back on it and going, "Man, how did that guy last that long?" Mm-hmm. You know, because there are limitations. It's a lot more, uh, you know, fives on that scouting report than there are sixes mm-hmm. and sevens. If there is a six or seven, it's going to be the bat. Yep. Those are the ones that, you know, end up exceeding it because also some of these guys, 
you know, they're what we, okay, maybe the bat's a six and we thought it was a five, but more than that, they work really hard. They turn that defense from a 45 to a 55. Yep, exactly. And that's what, what does it. Um, but I need to give you a guy who's not in the 200. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go with Jared Johnson. Um, yes. Who, one of the latest, one of the last pop-up guys of the, of the spring. I feel confident saying that when we started this, we say, like, we build out a master, you know, this master database that we have, mm. and which has, like, at this point, I think 13, 1,200 guys. On yeah, it. around 1,200. Jared Johnson was not on that list, no. period, <laughs> when, the, uh, when the spring season began. And I don't feel bad about that. Like, Jared Johnson wasn't on follow list for many scouts when the season yeah. began. But I mean, he was a guy that didn't have much attention from colleges. He, he just, was an Itawamba junior college. Props to Itawamba. Yes. He was props, a, but sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, Good job. Like, you were on it early. Now uh, who's going to take him away? Mike, if you don't remember this, this is the Mike Trout Eastern Car- East Carolina story. Mm-hmm. Like Mike Trout is coming out of New Jersey, and he's an ECU, East Carolina commit. Mm-hmm. And which is one of the great recruiting jobs of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, you saw the talent before everyone else did. You got in there so early. You know, you were enthusiastic and believed in Mike Trout mm-hmm. before the industry as a whole. Yep. You land a commitment and a, from Mike Trout, who at the time you did it, you know, that coaching staff was like, this is going to be our cornerstone player because he wasn't a high-profile guy. Yeah. And then, over the summer before his senior year, you're noticing, like... That is wild. Man, there's a lot of scouts here. Hey, Mike, can you shut it down for yeah. us? <laughs> then you get to you get to fall, you, you know, it's cold. You get to spring of his senior year, and you're like, yeah, there's no chance that yes. Mike Trout's Hey, scouting director it. should not be here. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's no chance he's making ECU. Great, again, Jared Johnson, great job, Itawamba. Mississippi but, State will take it from here. But all, you know, he comes out tiny, and I say this, you know, like, I am not, I'm from small town. Mm -hmm. I'm from a town of less than 10,000 in Georgia. Smithville's small by my standards as well, like less than 1,000 people. It's not an easy, you know, like, that's not something where, you know, you're planning to make your trip to go Mm -hmm. see Smithville uh, high play. But scouts started making that plans because when you've got a guy who's touching five, sixes, and doing it pretty easy. Yep. There's with the good body, there's a reason to do it. And he was throwing strikes too. And so Jared yeah. Johnson, he is like SEC schools also it became a, a giant SEC recruiting battle because you don't find arms like this that are available as seniors. Like mm-hmm. you know, like again, most SEC schools, if you ask them, you know, they can't publicly, but like they know what their 2022 class like is starting to shape up like. And yep. their 2021 is in pretty good shape at this point. It's not often that you're like, oh, okay, well, we got to figure out this 2019. But exactly. that was what Jared Johnson was. There's, there's easy velocity there, and he throws strikes. Like, those are the building blocks of something now, whether that is he goes to Mississippi State and kind of shows what he can do there, or mm-hmm. whether he goes in the draft. It's going to be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. But fascinating story because, again, this is a true pop-up guy who yeah. – I don't think really was on scouts' radar in uh, you know January of 2019, or yeah. at least most scouts. No, I think you nailed it. I think that's a good one to finish up on. 
Um, yeah, and I feel like we got to do a little bit of a deep dive. If there's any other questions, I got a couple questions. We got a couple more questions here. Uh, generic name six two five. Great Twitter handle. Love it. Yeah, like okay, so I I guess we're answering a bot here. Let's see. (laughs) We're answering not a bot because Michigan fan bot. bot. Michigan fan bot. So what's the word on Jordan Brewer, C1 Big Ten Player of the Year? And it's hitting for average some power, but I haven't seen much draft talk despite being a junior. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know, he's going to go relatively well. Yeah. Like, like when you say draft talk, I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he's not going to go in the first round. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Once, you, once you're outside of even like the top 50 range, a lot of these guys don't get talked about that but much man, and they can go really there's a well. lot to like about jordan brewer there, there is, is a lot to like there is he's a projects as a potential center fielder he's got really good athleticism although he's, although he's not playing center field in michigan this is yeah, yeah. this is kind of the interesting thing mm-hmm. but it does happen yeah well he does have a plus arm that fits in right field but he's a 70 grade runner and he started to really hit well this year and i think that's kind of what shot him Came up. out of a junior college is, i mean like mm-hmm. uh, you know he was at a junior college last year comes uh to michigan this year immediately becomes mm-hmm. one of their best players i mean like from day yeah. one Makeup seems like it's really, really good makeup. Mm-hmm. Like he is, uh, he's a guy who, from all accounts that I have, like, well, whoever team, whatever team drafts him, the minor league clubs that he comes to are going to love him. Yeah, because he's really big in charitable endeavors and all as well, which is something that is actually very important on the minor league side. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you're, you know, you're making an impact in the community, things like that. Um, and you throw on top of that again. Really strong year, really has the performance to go with the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very different body types. But I can't help but think of, look at where Ronnie Dawson went coming out of the uh, the Big Ten a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Now the Astros, in double A for the Astros. Ronnie Dawson's much more bigger, more physical. Mm-hmm. Brewer's a better athlete. But two guys who had similar kind of like really productive junior years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dawson obviously was there for three years as well. Yeah, really quick Brewer sitting 347, 407, 618 with 12 homers. So I think the hit tool is the biggest question with him, but that helps you get a little bit confident or a little you, bit yeah, more you, confident again, than you Yeah, you can be, feel a little more confident when exactly. you see a guy producing like he's produced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, I... I he's a fun one, and there are not a ton. There are a few of them kind of down as we get few, deeper into the draft class, but... This is a class, I think, that's lacking in, like, legitimate center fielders. So this is a fun one that's tooled up as well. Right. Again, the thing that stands out with him, and it's a good, good guy to ask about, mm-hmm. is usually you have two sets. Like, once you get out, I mean, we write up 500. By the time you get to 500, you're writing up. It is down to here's why this guy could get drafted, mm-hmm. and here's why he's not going higher. Yeah. Really, you can summarize it as that. Like, again, there are 17th rounders who end up being MLB stars. Mm-hmm. It is rare, it is unusual, but it does happen. But really, the top guys are the guys who have the combination of extreme tools and extreme performance. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to day two, like, by the time you get to the third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, you're really, when you're talking on the college side, usually you've got one of two things. You've got the guys, as I see it, you know, from writing up a lot of these guys, and you, I want to, if you agree or disagree, but you've got the guys who have the mega tools, and then there's the butt, which is, is that the performance is not... Normally it's butt can he hit. And then there's the guys who really can hit. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, ah, oh, but the tools are a little light. What's the impact, yeah. Jordan Brewer is one of the guys who, again, the track record's short, mm-hmm. 
But Jordan Brewer's one of the guys who has both of those yeah. right now. And I think that's the question of, of, of where you like him. There are some teams who want more track record with guys they're going to take in the top 10 rounds. And I think this kind of segues nicely into another question that we have here is um, at a road 77 asks, um, a question regarding Cavaco, this is Keone Cavaco, the Southern California third baseman. He seems to be mocked all over the place, and could you talk about him and which teams would be most heavily interested in a player like him with their first picks? So I think with their first picks is key. I think everyone is interested in him at some level. It's just where does that Very interest start? Very perceptive question, though, uh, A-Road 77, when you said picks, plural. Exactly. I think that's the key, and, and I've got it from, I think, throughout this mock process, most of the teams, and I think in our, in our last draft, we, we actually, uh, our last mock draft, we have them going to the Brewers just because they're a team that's uh, previously looked for like high upside and tools in the first round. But I do think that any of the teams with multiple picks in the first round makes sense um, just because you can kind of take on a little bit more risk potentially if you, if you want to do that. And I do think there are some teams that have multiple picks that have previously or recently uh, been more inclined to go with guys that have more track record than Cavaco, and I think the Diamondbacks are a team that, while they do have four picks, yes, uh, if you look at all their picks in the first round last year, all of those guys were guys who, at the prep or college level, had a pretty long track record of hitting and performing, and that's the question with Cavaco. His tools compare really well with pretty much any prep player in the class from a hitting perspective. It's just this spring is basically the only time you've seen him. There are a few fall events, so it just depends on, one, do you have enough picks that you think you can take on that risks? And two, how much do you value the track record? The other thing I would say, though, is, is that this segues. I've got a piece coming out. It should be done this weekend. It's going to be done this weekend. I'm going to make sure I finish it this weekend. Um, scouts have helped on this, and advisors have helped on this. This is hopefully a really useful piece about what players need to know mm -hmm. on draft day. Um, but one of the things that stands out with a guy like, you know, like Havoco is that there are, it is easy to look at, you know, look at it in hindsight and say, man, that player got less than slot and that player got more than slot. So clearly that player did better or that player, you know, screwed it up. Mm -hmm. and, got, and which is not really an actuality like the, the, the better answer that to me that you can put on that is is that, like, when you say, like, he's mocked all over the place, mm -hmm. we could find scenarios, plausible scenarios, where he's still available at 35. Yeah. And we could find plausible scenarios where he's off the board at 20. Now, one of the things that I think is part of that is, is that if he's off the board at 20, there's a decent chance that it's going to be, you know, it may be where it's, again, not having, this is not, this is speculation. But yeah, just going through the hypotheticals of hypotheticals, how, the draft, how the draft works. Like I say, I'm not saying this is what he's doing. I'm saying a player, if you have that kind of range. Yeah. It makes sense to say, I'm game to take a less than slot deal at 20 mm -hmm. because the slot at 20 is such where, or I'm game to take an above slot deal at 40. Mm -hmm. Like, again, that... Where you're picked is only part of the puzzle here. Yes. You have teams that like you, teams that don't, so or as much. So mm -hmm. there's going to be some teams in that range where, like, we're out. Like you said, track record's not enough, we're out. Mm -hmm. You have other teams that are very much going to be in. Well, part of the whole puzzle that you have to fit together here is, is okay, let me figure out the teams that are in on me. Mm -hmm. And two, what's the best way I can maximize? You know, again, that may be... 
there are times where getting picked 40 will make you more money than getting picked 25. Mm. And I know that some, you know, this is where the MLB draft, again, is different than the NFL draft or the NBA draft, where mm. it is always better to get picked five than eight or yes. ten financially in those because they're slotted. This is kind of slotted, but it is not in the same way. Yes. I think it's a great point. Uh, I think those are all the questions that we had for today. Thanks to everyone who submitted them. Um, and thanks, as always, to our listeners and subscribers. If you have not subscribed yet, go ahead and check out BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, a few clicks away, and you can subscribe to everything that we have behind the paywall on the website. You can also check out our freshly updated magazine. The draft preview, like we said, is out. Probably my favorite issue of the year. I'm so glad it's done, but we're still not done with the draft. A lot we more will, stuff. We will not be done. No. I mean, we got a, we've got a lot of stuff planned. Um, yeah. I, one of the things I did also that I've really like, I've been really, I, I hope that you enjoy mm-hmm. is, and we'll keep retweeting them and you know posting them. There's also we have an we have a 2019 draft landing page, you know, right available. Yep. If you go to baseballamerica.com at the top, it says 19 draft. Click on that, and it kind of gets you links to a lot of, not all, it's impossible to link to all of them, but a lot of our stories. Yeah. One of the things we're also trying to do is tell you the stories of the trends in the draft, mm-hmm. um, like. We have a piece out there of, you know, like you said, with Andrew Vaughn, just how rare it is mm-hmm. for a sub-six-foot first baseman to even be a big leaguer. Like, yeah. that's really rare. Or We've talked about the slotting situation a lot and kind of how you, you maneuver your pool money, use that muscle. There's a story kind of breaking down how teams have previously done that and potentially how the D-backs could do it. Because the D-backs so. have a lot of picks. We have exactly. a story about why this is maybe not a good year to really uh, go all in on pitching in yeah. the first round. Draft because, a bat. You know, because it's not a very good year for pitching. We got a lot more of stuff like that. We're going to have again. We're going to have coming up. You know what you, uh, players need to know for the draft. We're going to have additional analysis. We've got a piece coming hopefully Monday or Tuesday about a trend that uh, is really becoming noticeable mm-hmm. about uh, teams' tendencies on who they pick and sign, um, which I'm excited about. We will continue. You know there are, there are more. There's a I'm going to say there is another mock. There are more mocks coming because this is the point where after getting dribs and drabs of information mm-hmm. and having to piece it together, all of a sudden the dra- dribs and drabs become a flood. Yep. And now it's becoming, okay, sorting out the information from the, uh, the spurious, inf- spurious information. But we'll have a lot at BaseballAmerica.com over the next 10 days. Obviously, we'll have a lot. During the draft, uh, you know, Carlos will be on the uh, the draft yes. on uh, Monday night, uh, June third, and then we'll be providing a massive amount of analysis, telling you what it all means, you know, on day two and day three. Mm-hmm. Again, we hope to have reports so that I mean, we know that basically your team's picks in the first day, the second day, we're going to have reports for all of them. And really, our goal though is is 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th round. We'll have most of those guys too. Mm-hmm. And then plenty of guys beyond that as well. So if you want to know what your team drafted and would know about those players, we're going to tell you. We're not going to you know, tell you about the first round. We're going to tell you about the first round, the 10th round, the 15th round, and in many cases, the 40th round. <laughs> because we're insane. Yes, that is true. Well, thank you guys if you made it this far. We appreciate it. For JJ, I'm Carlos Colazzo. Until next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.